So Brother Randall, when he called, uh, said that he would like for me to speak concerning uh, being neighbors to anyone. In other words, being kind, compassionate, considerate, regardless of who our neighbors might be. And he said specifically he was concerned that we be neighborly to those who may have lifestyles that are so opposed to Scripture. And that we, rather than uh, totally remove ourselves, how did we, how do we interact? And I confess to you, I'm not sure I have the answers to that, and I know I don't have the experience. But I do think the Scriptures have something to tell us about that. And before we go forward, I I want to, uh, you know, just give a a disclaimer uh, from several different texts. You remember the Apostle Peter, uh, obviously, being uh, Jewish, he was, the Gentiles were anathema. That's right. And he, he was going to have nothing to do with them. And verily believed that that was God's will. Of course, the Lord uh, showed him something different. And uh, sometimes, like it is with me, my wife have to, has to tell me something three times. So, uh, <laughs> the sheet was let down three times. And uh, he was so frightened about what he had done, he took witnesses, remember, to be sure that when the word got out, he wouldn't, uh, you know, receive too much flat. And that all seems kind of funny, but it was an experience that changed Peter's life. That's right, yeah, absolutely. And so as we think of, of the society in which we live, there's been much said about uh, the political arena, even uh, Brother Bryson mentioning about abortion and, and all of, of these things are absolutely true. We are to stand for godliness. We are, uh, you know, told uh, to be holy even as He is holy. And I want you to know I'm not in any way uh, desiring or wanting to even intimate that I think those things are to be put on the shelf. At the same time, Peter learned that uh, it didn't matter where it was in any nation. If there were those that feared God and they followed after holiness, they they were to be brought in. And so we must have that mindset if we're to be like our Savior. And... That's not the only passage, of course, as you might expect. Uh, And and again, just to somewhat lay some groundwork, I know you all are familiar with uh, 1 Corinthians 5, and Paul is mentioning about a disciplinary issue. And he says, I wrote unto you, verse 9, in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether, with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. 
So we've got to decide. Either we uh, call the rapture today or else we realize, and you know, I'm not believing in the rapture, but anyway, or else we accept the fact that we are going to mix with people that have not just different lifestyles. I mean, it's always been we're mixing with people with different beliefs or no belief, right? But perhaps uh, the fact that now we're at a different level, and I don't know if you want to say it's harder or if you want to come down here and say it's uh, more ungodly, but anyway, it is a new sphere that we're facing. We're, we're in a different environment, perhaps, especially when you're the old codger like me. I mean, it is really different than it was when I was uh, you know, ordained at 24. It's not the same world. I'm not saying that's bad, necessarily, because God is still on His throne. And the book of Jude also has something to tell us well, I wanted to get that passage just later in 1 Corinthians 5. If you jump over in verse 6, you all are familiar with this. He says, Know ye not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But he says, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. And without going into those definitions, you're aware what he's speaking about. But he says nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you're, you're justified. You're washed. You're sanctified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, God's children can be caught up in the worst of sins. That's right. No question. And the gospel can come and give real sinners, right? <laughs> I hope you're aware of this or else we have no hope. Give real sinners real blessings in the gospel so that they see themselves not as identified to some sexual orientation as their uh, you know, reason for living. But they find their living in Christ alone. Amen. And the other takes a lower place. Amen. And they begin to live for Christ alone. I am not saying these lifestyles are of God. I'm just going to say it one more time. <laughs> but I am saying... God does save sinners and He does deliver those sinners that have been regenerated through the gospel to begin to live a different and holy life. Amen. It's beautiful. Amen. Now, the book of Jude gives us some thoughts on this. And remember, Jude's speaking about an ungodly world and how we are in the midst of such. You're familiar with some of this language. Verse 8, for instance, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Uh, verse 12, These are spots in your feasts of charity, raging waves of the sea. Verse 13. So, I mean, he's, he's speaking of, of some of the very same things 
But notice what he says towards the end of the chapter. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, those, that phraseology is speaking of evil and perverted sexual sins. That's, that's what the language is indicating. And he says, you've got to make a difference. Brother Dolph, where are you? What do you do in this situation? What do you do on that situation? It depends. <laughs> there may be those that are militant and they would take you by the neck in the alley and get rid of you if you name the name of Christ. And there may be others that are living in the same way, but they may have an interest as small as it may be. And we've got to be able to, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, make a difference. Pulling some perhaps out of the fire and others, not so much. And the first thing that I come to when I realize that I'm under obligation at least to be mindful of such is that I am so proud and so arrogant and such a Pharisee that I've got a problem. I do. You know, it takes a lot of pride to preach against pride. Did you know that? (laughs) And to preach against Phariseeism you got to be careful or you'll be a Pharisee. <laughs> Looking down on the Pharisees. Wow. <laughs> and to preach against or to speak against or to think of a lifestyle that is opposing such sins, we have to realize we are sinners as well. We are prone to look down upon people. And I don't know about you, but it never worked very much if I was looking down on my wife and trying to give her some advice. (laughs) I mean, Christ, and this this is the text, Luke 15, against those who would not consider sinners And we're talking about repentant sinners. Peter said that the Lord hath also granted to the Gentiles repentance of sins. The Lord grants the repentance. Not just the change of mind with regards to the lifestyle, but a heart change where one's uh, direction is changed, perhaps, and the lifestyle is not yet changed. How many of us here are attempting to move in a certain direction with regards to certain sins and you're fighting it? Listen, I've been fighting certain sins for 50 years and I'm still at it. 
and I have not conquered certain sins. But I trust I've been given repentance so that I'm attempting to go in that direction. And that's what uh, we're looking at. So in Luke 15, uh, this is the text I gave Brother Randall. Then drew, verse 1, unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now, let's understand, in that day, these were like the anathemas, okay? These these were like, we shouldn't even be around them. And he says, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, the church at home has a reputation. Your church has a reputation, too. Is it that, name your church, they receive sinners? Meaning people that in the society, and this was the publicans and the sinners, that your church, which I trust is God's church, would receive such. And I'm going to say one more time, we're talking about repentant sinners. We're not talking about scooting people under the rug, saying, oh, it doesn't matter, live any way you want to. You know, we're not, I'm not saying that. And I'm paranoid about, you know, what y'all are going to take and go out of here with. But I'm also paranoid that if we don't walk in the way of Christ, where we're going to end up. Because the Savior said that we would, our house would be less de- left desolate. Until we receive those who come naming Christ. And I think that this is me. I have looked for most of my ministry for middle class, do I dare say it? White. You know, three kids, four kids, five kid families. Like the same movies. You know, vote the same way. I know how we're supposed to vote. Don't pull that on me. (laughs) But do we have a reputation that we would receive someone calling on the name of Christ regardless of the desperate condition of sin people might be in. And to just continue the thought here, so they were against Christ. And so he gives them, as you know, three examples, but I want to just jump to what we call uh, the two sons, or usually we just say uh, the prodigal, but it's actually both, as you know. The younger of them said to his father, you know, give me my portion. And he divided them his living. He went to a far country. And as you know, uh, he wasted his substance. And when he had spent all, there arose that famine. And uh, he, he, you know, he came to himself when he was eating husks. And how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? This boy was changed. Yeah. Amen. 
Wasn't he? But what did it take for him to get there? Friends, I will even offer for your consideration, we have to see our own sin before we're going to be able to be a blessing to anybody else in sin. And the problem when we're not willing to reach out to somebody that's in sin is because we ourselves are Pharisees and we don't think our sins are as low and despicable in God's sight as these other people's sins. So, are you the elder brother or the prodigal? Well, we preach about the prodigal all the time and we rejoice and clap and say amen and uh, we're like the prodigal. But if somebody comes to us like the prodigal, we all of a sudden switch, or at least I do. And I all of a sudden become the elder brother. We're not going to rejoice over this person. Why? Well, their sin is real sin. Well, the father said, as he saw the son far off and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and put the robe on him and, uh, you know, the ring on his finger, uh, he said, bring hither the fatted calf, verse 23, kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son, which was dead, is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. Here's the real rub. Now I rejoiced when my children by faith confessed the Lord Jesus Christ. I did. I rejoiced when anyone does, but there are those that if they confess, all I think is, oh my goodness, I've got a problem on my hands. <laughs> you know, They've got real sin. And I don't mind being a top of the you know, top of the water pastor, you know. But when I've really got to be a pastor and begin to deal with real sinners, then you know it's like I'm not sure I was called to this work. <laughs> now that's what the Savior is saying. He says, Are you the prodigal? Or are you the elder brother? Am I the prodigal or am I the elder brother? Well, both, really. Because <laughs> I've been out and had my corn husks as well. But when it comes to being a Christian, too often I'm the elder brother. Well, let's notice uh, the father had compassion on him. The word there means love. It means he actually, as the Savior, you know, when he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, it actually talking about the wave. The word there actually carries with it the thought that the waves of your emotion are paralleling the other person's waves of emotion. And so there, there's this together so that one is comforted, as it was just spoken, by the other person because they are not alone, but there's someone there with them. And the Father is saying when He had compassion on Him, 
I understand the difficulty of your sin and the fight that you've been going through. And if we're going to reach someone, we're going to have to have the compassion that we are wrestling with sin just like they're wrestling with sin. It may be a different sin, but we're wrestling with sin. You know, we're talking about being... uh, transparent or you have to come and be honest about your finances I think well my experience is it's very difficult for me to tell people my sin in fact it takes grace right in fact it takes the love of God so let's notice this thought of compassion and the love of God there is Are you ready? We quote this all the time. There is none good. No, not one. I want us to just consider what that means. What's that, brother? Dukes? Okay, they've got this sin. I don't have this sin. What are we saying? I'm better. There is none good. No, not one. It takes the same grace to save the most righteous person as it takes to save the so-called worst it's easy easy for us to to believe in grace and then fall into sort of a theological uh, trap that grace only goes so far that's what it's so easy to do well, if, if that's the truth, then, that we need grace, what is the antidote that we're looking for? It's God's love, right? God's grace. It's, it's God's mercy. It's the work of Christ. But did Christ die for everybody's sins that He died for? Did He die for all of their sins of everybody that He died for? Yes, yes. When he died for their sins, all of those sins of everybody that he died for, does it include all sins if we begin to name them? Or can we only say he died for all sins of all of his people? But then if we begin to name certain sins, we say... He died for all of his people's sins. All the sins of all of his people. All their sins. It does not make a difference what the sin is. 
And, and I offer for your consideration from the uh, Sermon on the Mount that the Lord looks at sin a whole lot differently than we do so that it, it will humble us to realize we're not any better. I'm not saying certain sins don't have worse uh, effects on society. I'm saying in the sight of God, yeah. Victor's here. He's my brother. I love him dearly, but there was a time I hated his guts. <laughs> it's the proverbial story that I chased him with a claw hammer, and if he would not have outrun me, we probably would have had a funeral. I mean, I was hot. I was so angry, I could have bit nails. I, I mean, I was, I absolutely had lost it. <laughs> I provoked it. <laughs> the Lord says, you know, <laughs> oh, never mind. <clears throat> you can't be raised in a home of four boys and not have had anger. Okay? And if I would have been raised in a different environment, I have no doubt I could have committed heinous crimes because I am prone to anger. That's right. That's right. And the Savior hung on the cross, enduring the wrath, the anger of God for my anger. And do I have the right to look down on someone who has some sexual perversion that I may not have a propensity towards? And where did God say that certain sexual propensities are so much worse than somebody else that's living a good life even though maybe they're heterosexual. It's all sin. And it doesn't stop with just anger. Go to the Ten Commandments sometime instead of reading the Ten Commandments as that glorious, which it is, set of commandments, not rules, that we're supposed to follow to serve God, but instead of looking at it as this is what I'm supposed to follow, consider the Savior's interpretation that we don't measure up to one of them. Not one of them. I've stolen, I'm covetous. You say, Brother Dick, you don't say what you're going to say. Have I lusted? Say, so you're a preacher. Yeah. <laughs> Human, moral, fallen preacher. How's God looking at this? Friends, we are all in need of His grace. There is none righteous, no, not one. So let me notice just a thought here. God's love or God's grace 
basically offends us. And that's why we try to keep it tame. Romans 6, I mean, I mean, we quote it all the time and we act like it's somebody else. But he says so plainly, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Listen, grace is so profound, it is so all-encompassing, it is so freeing, it is absolutely so uh, completely negating what we deserve by wrath that God's children, that are His children, born again, can be in sin and we're afraid if we say, they're forgiven that we're saying people can live any way they want to. That's right. I mean, I just proved to you. I took the first 10 minutes trying to lay the groundwork of saying. <laughs> what, what's with that picture? I'm so full of pride. I'm so arrogant. I don't want you to think wrong of me. If I actually have compassion on a real sinner. I mean, think about it. Let's suppose there was somebody that was a noted sinner. I mean, friends, that's the people. When the woman came into Simon's house, she was noted as who she was. She was. She knew it too. She knew it too. When the woman was caught in the act of adultery, <clears throat> they knew exactly what had been going on. <clears throat> How about when he's at, you know, Zacchaeus's house? They knew exactly sinners that were noted as horrible, wretched, societal offcasts. Sinners. And the Savior didn't seem to be concerned what they were going to think about him. He let the woman wash his feet when she came into Simon's house. He would go to the woman at the well. In fact, what began to convert me, and I'm still trying to get converted, but the problem is it's going to take God to get me converted. But in John 4, you know, in, in the days... When, when, you know, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I was born when dinosaurs were on the earth, you know, so. <laughs> but, <clears throat> when we used to have so much trouble among our people with regard to divorce and remarriage, it was the beginning of what we're talking about now. We're just getting revealed if our standards are willing to be standards, but when someone's sin, we realize grace can handle sin. And here in John 4, after this experience with this woman who had had uh, five husbands living with a man that she now uh, was not her husband, he says in verse 35... There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, 
Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white unto harvest. Now, was the, was the harvest literally white? Sure. Yeah, it, it was harvest time. Well, what was he saying? <laughs> he was saying there's a thousand other women out there just like this if you guys can get off your high horse. That's what he was saying. So I told you yesterday, you know, Austin's a little San Francisco. So that means, well, there's nobody that's going to receive the gospel. Is that what it means? You know? I live in a corn. Poor Dickie. <laughs> Paul was ready to get out of town. He didn't want to be in Corinth. And what did the Lord said, I have much people in this I didn't say everyone that's in this type of sin is God's child. I didn't say that. Here I go. Just still giving you disclaimers. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm not. <laughs> I have not made the grade. But friends, we have to have the mindset, if we believe the Scripture, and we have to have the mindset that we not have burnout, that no matter what type of a society we live in, God is in His preaching of the gospel, and there are His people in all walks of life living in degradation. Yes. And realize there can be a difference made and preach the gospel to anybody who has an interest and God is able to change their walk of life. I mean, in one sense, the light may shine brighter, right? In the darkness. It could. It does. It does. Thank you. Absolutely. So we've just simply looked at the thought of uh, God's love has to go over all. God's grace, it goes over all. So what do we begin to sum up about this? I would challenge all of us that when we look in Scripture, for us to maintain a Christ-like attitude, instead of always considering that the bad person is somebody else and the good person is our wonderful example and us trying to be like the good person that we actually stop and meditate how we're just like the bad person. It'll open our eyes. Yes. No wretched, horrible sexual sins. They are. And what am I like? Mm -hmm. Either in that sin or a hundred other sins. It was always the Pharisees. This is tough. This is tough. I'm not going to ask you to put on your seatbelt or put on your helmet. I'm going to ask you to open up your heart. It's tough. But we need the grace of God just like 
they do. And when you see someone that you think is so beneath you, you stop. I stop and think, how have I been so near or maybe exactly or maybe worse than what I have a long self-righteous nose to look at? You see, we think we're supposed to copy the clean, the moral, the righteous. Jesus is giving this example saying, copy the prodigal. Mm-hmm. And he's telling us, don't be like the elder brother. Right. If we're throwing a party, man, we're preaching grace. It's the best association I've been to in a long time. Friends, mm-hmm. I've been there. Somebody comes up off the tracks and they just want a bite to eat. Mm. And I think, what are you doing here messing up our our meeting? I'm not saying everybody's to be a hobo, to be the homeless. I'm not saying people aren't supposed to work. I'm not saying that. This will be recorded as Brother Dickey Attempting to remain a Pharisee because I <laughs> but real grace, and that's what it takes to save any real sinner. Okay, are we real sinners? Grace humiliates us, it frustrates us. Grace will be all about what Christ has done and not what I'm doing. Grace has nothing to do with what any of us are meriting. We know that, but we don't know it. We think we're meriting God's favor. God's going to bless me because, again, friends, I've lived too long. (laughs) listen we've got to keep moving we can't stop I mean brother Dan was telling us Christ is on the move I pastored a church we were visited by another race I'll just put it that way this is when I was young Church members I pastored would not shake their hands. This is serious business. So grace seeks people when they're perhaps not even interested in the things of God. Did you know that? They may not be interested. As far as you can tell. They may be broken to the bone down inside. So grace is going to come at people that are His people through the gospel that is presented to them by God's people, right? Who don't earn it. Is that grace? We want them to earn it. 
<laughs> we want them to earn our giving them the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Grace loves you, and you think of all these in reference to ourselves, when we are unlovable. Is that not true? God commended His love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can't love that person. Christ did. Grace gives expecting nothing in return. Exactly. So he heals the lepers. Did he know so many of them wouldn't return? Did he know that? No, he stopped his foreknowledge right there. <laughs> I don't want to heal him. I don't want to I don't want to know what's gonna happen, you know. I'm just No. We will give grace in the gospel and our demeanor. Whether we can see an end to it or not. Oh my I, I Several preachers, and it's a good way for a preacher's meeting to be, where the women aren't here, and so the wife, the, the the brethren are talking about the blessing of their wives. And I've enjoyed several visits about my wife's such a blessing. Yes. Here's one way my wife's been a great blessing to me. So, Dickie, but well, you need to call so and so. They came, you know, to church. <laughs> so well let's, let's see if they come back again there might be a place for that I'm not saying you jump on somebody just all in my heart in my heart was wretchedness wretchedness and I didn't want to bother with someone if I didn't see they might you know up the roster on the church member list. Christ fed thousands and he knew what the outcome was going to be. We can minister to those who have no evidence whatsoever that they're the Lord's. If it's a gospel of grace, we can. And let me give another disclaimer. I'm saying all this and I don't I've not I've not been in situations where I know you know anything about it really but I've come to believe it is absolutely the word of God and I pray someday it will be general among us so they said this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them oh my lord if he could just receive them, that's one thing. But in that society, if you ate with them, I mean, it was basically saying they're okay. That's what we're afraid of. We don't mind saying the gospel could save them, but we don't want to eat with them. Not actually get the grunge, you know. So, Even though this is all foreign to me, I'll say, 
Grace is by very definition for the incompetent and the unrighteous and the societal, do I dare say this? This is what we think, dregs. Grace is not what you know others need. And I used this title nine years ago in a series of sermons on those accounts where the Savior receives sinners and Brother Randall asked me to preach this and I was, I was too chicken to use it as a title. Those sermons way back years ago I called God's scandalous, exuberant, unmerited grace. Amen. Because it's a scandal. It's a scandal. To really receive repentant sinners. And I said, repent. <laughs> I'm going to keep stressing that. Grace is God's goodness, not people's badness. He doesn't judge that way. Do you know what dawned on me that even our, my best works need repented of? My best works are like a menstrual cloth. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. My best. My best. Dear God, help me. And when we're somebody said smack. <laughs> when we're smacked down, maybe we can go to others. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah that's right. Yeah. So really amazing grace, and this is so foreign to what we believe. Bad people get good stuff. <laughs> and if you don't believe that, you're not getting any good stuff. That's true. Yes, sir. We don't deserve God's love. You say, well, I've been living for Him. I just quoted, in, in fact, let me, let me quote another passage. Every man in his best state is altogether vanity. So our best is nada, zero, zilch. I'm not saying don't live for God. I'm not saying don't live righteous. I'm not saying don't bring people to a life that, you know, like reading Brother Dolph, so, so that they're financially better. I'm not saying all th- that that's not what the goal is, but I'm saying there are many of God's children that are in need of the gospel of grace. And as far as me, I can be so opposed because of my arrogance, Phariseeism, and self-righteousness, I don't want to go near them. The question is not, why do bad things happen to good people? The question, why does anyone ever get any good thing because we're all bad? If we had that mentality, we'd understand. That's exactly right. Oh, my heavens. 
Yeah. Well, I'm supposed to be done by 12. Uh. <laughs> so, so grace, grace wrecks our foundation of uh, arrogance. If we really, 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 really get grace, it affects us in that way. You say, what what text teaches that? Well, it's very simple. Where he said, no man can come unto me except. Now, is there an exception? Did he say, any man can come unto me if and then give this set of rules. We preach one thing, I preach one thing, and then I so often go and practice the second part. <laughs> they can come if... This is not in the past, that's not in the past. Da, 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 da. So grace scares us. It's really... I'm scared, right? I'm scared to preach this message. I'd be given all these disclaimers. <laughs> grace scares us grace is messy we want rules grace is messy such were some of you abusers of themselves with mankind Feminine, transgender, whatever you want to put in there. It's really messy. It was messy when Christ was here. So grace wrecks our foundations. Grace destroys our boast. You know Romans 3. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. If we get grace, there's no more boast. Here's this person sitting there. I can just come up right beside him. Say, how are you? They're actually a human being. Did you know that? I don't know if they're God's own or not, but you know they are a son of the creator God, right? Right. Right. Yes. Whether they're a child of God or not, I don't know. But I could just treat them even deeper. And I know we need punishment, we need incarceration, all of that. But I'm saying, as representatives of the, of the of Christ Himself, who went up to such people, I need converted. What's that? Continually. 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 Well, let me uh, jump on here. So, uh, you say, well, you know, can you give any uh, references to all of this? Does this really ever happen? Well, you know, I've already mentioned the woman at the well. You can mention uh, the woman at Simon's house. You can uh, mention the woman caught in the act of adultery. You can mention, you know, Christ with Lazarus. You can, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Our text where he's teaching the Pharisees. Uh, but recently, I uh, well, it's been a year or two when this got on my mind. Uh, I began to try to reach out and at least find out what little I could find out. And went to some conferences where there, 
it was uh, specifically, of course, by uh, our brethren in uh, denominational circles that uh, don't understand grace like we understand it, and yet maybe they even understood it better. Uh, and it was on facing the society we live in. And I heard a man speak by the name of Sam Alberry, and uh, Sam is now a pastor in England. And uh, when Sam was young, life was normal. When he reached puberty, he began to be uh, same-sex attraction instead of being attracted to uh, uh, women uh, like all of his buds. And so he said when Jesus burst onto the scene, he didn't subdivide humanity into categories and give each one a separate message. One for the introverts, one for the extroverts, one for the... uh, left brains, one for the, you know, if you have uh, color blindness, I mean, now all this is kind of silly, but anyway, one for the right brains. One message for gay, but a different message for others. Judgment and hell for one, bliss and paradise for the other. Is God anti-gay? You want me to read this? No. I didn't say God wasn't against that lifestyle. But God can be for his people in that lifestyle. Is God anti-gay? No. He is against all of us who are by nature living apart from him and for ourselves. Child of God who's into that is living for himself. That's his propensity. I've just told you, I wanted to commit murder when I was, I'm I'm serious about this. I was so angry, it is unbelievable how angry I was. He goes on. He said, well, this is a guy that was in the lifestyle. No wonder he's trying to make it easy. Listen to what he's saying. He's using a twist of words. I know, but his point is, God's not against that person if that person is his, even if that's their lifestyle. He's saying, God's against any of us in the sense of any sin, no matter what that lifestyle might be, and we're in the same boat. Because He is bigger than us, better than us, and able to do things far beyond us, though we struggle, God can love us too, and He's talking about Himself, who had those propensities. He has lived a celibate life. He loves the Lord. He understands that His uh, his sin is not what God wants So he is not living that, but that's his tendency. And he's willing enough to be open enough about it to ask others to pray for him as he struggles with it. I wonder if we would be willing to open up about our sin. We don't have enough grace we could even look over each other. Is that too hard? It's hard, I know that. If I told my congregation certain things about me, they would not want me to be the pastor. 
Of course, that works two ways. God loves us enough to carry our burden. Look at this man. You think he likes the way he is? No. That's right. No, that's right. He lived a wretched existence until the gospel finally came to him. He, he thought God would change his propensity, and God's able. But God didn't do it. And then it dawned on him. God loves me even the way I am. And if we don't have that same thought, we're in trouble. He doesn't love me because of the way I am. He loves me in spite of the way I am. He loves his children enough to carry the burden to take their place, to clean them up, to make them whole, and unite themselves to Him forever. Yes. yes. Amen. Well, we got to visiting last night. Brother Dolph has read this book as well. It's a book by Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria was a uh, lesbian. She was actually married to, a les- uh, to a, a, her partner. And uh, she was high up in academia. Thank you for that word, Brother Dolphin. <laughs> and uh, she was militant. She hated Christians. And so she determined that she was going to get evidence where she could basically crucify them and get rid of them, you know, off scourings of the earth. So she wrote letters to a lot of different uh, uh, Christian people and they were all except one just like she thought well we're against that you better Baba you know just hate 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 one pastor wrote back and said well uh, you know good to get your letter and uh, glad you're looking into these things I'm not saying it it depends. Is this the way it's always supposed to be? I'm not saying that. It depends. But this is this account. So the preacher said, uh, my wife and I would sure like to meet you. Could you come over, you know, next week, next month, whatever it was, for dinner? And she said, first she threw the letter in the trash. I don't want to go there. And then that letter just kept rising back up the top of that (laughs) (laughs) and she said you know I've been accusing everybody of having hate here's somebody has love and I refuse to admit it so she accepted it so the first first meeting at dinner what did the pastor do you're a wretch, you're going to hell, you know, you ruined society, you know, nothing's ever going to be good. It's people like you that have ruined America. Is that what he said? No. Maybe some truth in what I just said, but that's not what he said. <laughs> they didn't discuss anything 
as I remember, I didn't go back through the book to come here. And then they got together again. And eventually they actually became friends. Why would you have somebody at your house like that? I don't know. Christ seemed to eat with people like that. But anyway, here's what she wrote. Why do we assume that sexual sin has sexual or effectual origins? That is because we have too narrow a focus about sexuality's purview. Now this is after she became so close to the pastor, she starts going to church, she understands the gospel, she becomes a preacher's wife. Okay? Sexuality isn't about what we do in bed. Sexuality encompasses a whole lot of range of needs, demands, and desires. Sexuality is more a symptom of our life's condition than a cause, more a consequence than an origin. I didn't stop feeling like a lesbian at first. Rather, I started to feed on the promises in the Bible. And I started to spend more time embracing grace than the means of the world. It attracted her. Something was deeper and more lasting. And fulfilling and gave her more identity than her lifestyle. God slowly and powerfully changed me. I don't mean here that he changed me from gay to straight. The blood of Christ is too powerful to merely reflect status shifts in identity or sexuality. God made me to see myself in the context of his love, his designs, his authority, his sovereignty, his salvation, his holiness, and I saw that in my pride I was persecuting Christ himself. The one who would atone for my sins unless I changed. Now friends, that's grace. Not just for these type of people. Any people. I'll close that. Grace is the celebration of life. True, it relentlessly disturbs all the non-celebrants of the world. The elder brother. Still, grace is God, and God is grace. And grace is floating throughout the society of the universe. And as grace floats around, it becomes a cosmic bash, shouting and dancing its way through the streets of the universe, casting its bouquet of love to every window and pounding at every door in a hilarity saying, come out sinners. It does. Do we close our doors? Open our doors. Grace opens doors. Grace will continue its party until the prodigals come out of there, out at last and dance, until the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears and rejoice also. That's grace. It's a strange preference, regardless of how pervasive it is that given our low level of perfection and yet our infinite desire for it that we do not only not believe what the gospel announces but we actually reject the perfection of Christ for any of his children. 
We not only not rejoice in it ourselves, perhaps, but we wouldn't even want somebody else to rejoice in it. Because mm-hmm. they're too bad. I'm not talking about unrepentant sinners, okay? <laughs> Just remember, you, you may not know who they are. No, we rather re- we rather prefer relentless audits of our self bookkeeping department, finding that through forced labor and overtime, we've eked out a momentary vacation from guilt by comparing ourselves to some other slob. Wow. <laughs> That's how we do if we don't get grace. We get our justification by comparing ourselves to somebody we say's a slob. I understand everything I've said is radical I understand it's scandalous I do if I hear your church is taken in you know what's the word going to go around so and so church they've taken in you know a noted sinner (laughs) I understand it's radical I understand it's uh, it could even be said scandalous but what I don't want us to do is in the process not enjoy the grace we really believe All I've said today is the joy in your heart is for any one of God's children anywhere in any difficulty. And we are to take it to them and let the Lord deal with the outcome. And we are to, by God's grace, realize we can brush up against someone and not become... Now, this is, again... It depends. There may be people with propensities that, you know, they need to to stay within their four walls. But it's God's design in the proper way with the proper people that he's given the proper calling to do so to reach out to such people and they are not tainted in the process like God saying, oh, you are horrible that you actually talk to somebody like that. No, no, it's not that way at all. And it could be. I just wonder. I told him Sunday, somebody mentioned Elder Compton, I think it was Brother Dan. Uh, I, I said this Sunday, I said, okay, I'm 71. Elder Compton was 100. And he came to Oak Hill that same year. He stood up in that pulpit, preached, like you said, 40 minutes. Wonderful sermon. I wonder if I could live 29 more years. What? And, and see, regardless of the political environment. And I want America to be saved. Don't misunderstand me, okay? <laughs> but I wonder if God could take the truth of the gospel we believe. I wonder. I wonder if he could take it to his people everywhere. 
and there would be an ingathering. That would be astonishing. I do not believe I'm too old and washed out. It can't happen in my lifetime. And I believe we need that attitude. I know I do. Or else, I just begin to close in the ranks and say, well, God's only for this one and that one and maybe two or three more and things have gotten so bad and there's nothing else we can do. That is not Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel to who? Oh, you mean anybody that's God's child? Anybody? That's, you mean everything? Goodness. What a scandalous gospel. <laughs>